0: bulletin, and I said, oh Danny, I see something we need to change. The sermon title is not Generosity and childbearing." I'm so glad I saw that, because I don't know a thing about birthing babies, as they would say in Gone with the Wind, but uh, I do know a little bit about child rearing, so uh, we're in Psalm 37. And I'll read these verses 23 through 26. This is where David says, The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever generously, and his children who doesn't have enough food for his travels, and he asks her for a piece of bread. And she said, yes, I have some bread I can give you. And as she reaches into her bag to get the piece of bread, the traveler sees the valuable stone. And he says, could I have that stone as well? She says, okay, I'll give you the stone as well. Thinks that he has it made and he goes merrily on his way, but a few days later he's searching for the woman again. And when he finds her, he says, I want to give you back this stone that you gave to me because I want something even more valuable than that. And she said, What is that? He said, I want. David has the right answer to that traveler's question, but we'll come back to that later in the sermon. Right now, I want us to talk about this particular passage within this psalm as well as the overall psalm in which it's found, because back in October, when we looked at the first nine verses of this psalm, I told you then that it was a wisdom psalm. And that is to say, the writing looks very similar to that we would find in the book of Proverbs. And with this psalm, David is exploring two major themes, the problem of the apparent prosperity of the wicked on the one hand, as well as looking at the need for the faithful to trust God is in that section of the psalm where David especially talks about some of the characteristics and blessings of those who are faithful to God, those who seek uh, to live by His will. And one of those blessings is easy to see right there in the first line of our text. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. As most of you are aware, I have two grandsons, and the youngest of those two just learned to walk back in September, around the time of his first birthday, I should say, he learned to walk on his own, Uh, because as it is with most small children, they can walk earlier, they just don't have the balance thing down yet. And that's the way Caleb was, he loved to walk, in fact, or whatever. Uh, Of course, those of us watching or helping would delight in his exploits and all of his travel. That's sort of the picture we're being given in this verse. David speaks of this protective care of God all along the path of the righteous, offering his hand to steady them if they feel like they're going to fall. Earlier in this psalm, in verse 5, David has already told us, Commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will act. And part of this action that He promises is His providential work establishing the path that you and I walk in life. It's another way of saying, I believe, that truth that we find in Deuteronomy. Blesses the faithful. He blesses those who seek to follow his will. And as we move on, we see more of this providential and fatherlike care in the next verse, twenty-four, where he says, "Though he fall." And he words, David. And we know that David had his share of problems, and a lot of those problems came because of sins that he committed. But the kind of fall he's referring to here in our text is not so much some sort of moral failure, but rather the kind of suffering or misery that comes into the life of most every follower of God. It's that time in your life when you God is no longer around or when God is being silent or maybe you even think he just doesn't care It's that kind of day or week or year even in life when everything seems to be going wrong even in those kinds of situations God is still at work That's what David is telling us here now John Calvin says, when God visits his servants with severe afflictions, he at the same time mitigates them, that they might not faint under them. We can see this truth in the Apostle Paul's life in the text that Margaret just read a few moments ago, when he tells the church at Corinth, we're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're cast down, but not destroyed. Proverbs 24 also speaks to this same idea when it tells us that the righteous falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in times of calamity. Yes, we may fall. The world might do its best against us that it can do, but the Lord holds on. of his power, because of his presence in our midst. You remember Jesus said to us, lo, I'm with you always even to the close of the age. And there in the Gospel of John, he, he calls himself the Good Shepherd. And that's the kind of care and love that God pours out upon us by the power of his Holy Spirit. Then David looks out of his life, and says, "I have been young, and now am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, or his children begging bread." Now, does this mean that those of us who believe in God and and follow His will are never going to have financial problems? Of course not. Now, you might remember what Paul says to the church at Philippi: "In any and all circumstances, I have." Facing plenty and hunger, abundance and want. I can do all things in Him who strengthens me. Now, besides the fact of Paul's teaching there that Christ is sufficient, we can see from his remarks that there have been times in his life when, as an apostle, he had plenty, he had more than he needed. But we can also see that there had been times. it's the story of mine, there have been plenty of times when there was plenty, but there have also been those times when you wondered if the bills were all going to get paid. When Sarah and I were first married and moved here to Rock Hill to be, uh, for me to become associate pastor of this church uh, before she had a job, someone who is working, as for Christ, as they work in their job, as one person put it, are are able to almost invent work, if it can be invented. They want to work. They're not afraid to turn over every rock to find a job, nor are they so high and mighty that they're unwilling to take a job that other people tell them are below. I've dealt with a, a lot of churches I've served, those churches were situated where people just seemed to stop who needed help. Now, the church in Gastonia was just a half a block off Highway 74. The church in Atlanta was a half a block from the Marta station where people were coming and going all the time, and just like we're downtown, where people are always coming and going who have needs. And and when I'm hearing someone's story in my thought process is, if you have a church home, your church should be taking care of this particular need. Rarely have I heard that question answered in the affirmative. Once again, we could say that the Lord blesses obedience, but not always. But many times that blessing is just not spiritual. We can also This has been David's general experience. It's been my general experience in 35 years of ministry. And we can see that while much has changed since ancient Israel, some things have not. And this is... a description of what the typical righteous person is like. We see it there in the last verse of our text. He's ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. Now, notice what he ties together there. The willing generosity of the righteous on the one hand that somehow grows and nurtures children who are a blessing wherever they're found. That lends a whole new meaning to the spiritual principle of so does it i believe it does but this verse allows us to come back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the sermon how that traveler brought that valuable stone back to the woman saying give me please what you have that made you offer this stone Those who follow God's will, those who work in his kingdom, those who try to apply his written truth to their daily living are generous people. What does she have that he doesn't have? She has the power of the Holy Spirit at work, in her heart would be my answer, and because that Holy Spirit helps her to understand what God has done for her, what he's given to her through the of his own son, Jesus Christ, who was willing to yield up his life on the cross for your sins and for my sins, she's grateful. And that thankfulness leads to generosity. Paul tells the Colossians, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so live in him, rooted and built up in him, and established." in thanksgiving because they've been given this marvelous gift of Jesus Christ. They've received Him by the power of the Holy Spirit, and this is why those who are righteous give to others because God has first given to them, and they realize that great gift. It's just like we know what love is because God first loved us in Jesus. working in our heart compels us to be cheerful givers. And what we need to see is that the more we give to others, and you know, when we read this text, he's lending, ever lending generously. I mean, my mind first goes to money, but it's not just money. It's not just about money. You know, lending generously. You know, we lend our time We give money as well. But it's the the whole package of a life that gives that David is talking about. And what we need to see is that the more we give, the better it is for our children. As Charles Spurgeon puts it, those children are best provided for whose parents keep this in mind. bold enough to live by faith and give generously to the kingdom and to those in need, then your children will become a blessing, not just to you, but to society as a whole. And this truth has been proven Written in 1923, Children of the Manse. And I tried to look that book up on the internet and do a little bit of reading about it. The, the premise of the book is that the uh, children of preachers have accomplished far. This had been written about by BBC uh, commentators talking about how, you know, at this point. first half of the 18th century. His uh, theology, I'm happy to say, was reformed. Uh, he participated in the Great Awakening, and he and his wife, Sarah, had 11 children, to which they poured themselves into. And this Winship, this Mr. Winship, began to study all of this genealogy, all of these descendants' name of a man, Max Jukes, who lived about the same time, who happened to be in prison. I think it was in a New York uh, state prison system. And he decided to do a comparison and a contrast between these two individuals and their descendants. And it's astounding, the differences. We find from his study that Jonathan Edwards' godly legacy includes one U.S. vice president three U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 65 professors, 80 public office holders, 100 attorneys, and 100 missionaries. Now, among Max Jukes' descendants, we find seven murderers, 60 thieves, 50 prostitutes, 400 who were, as the study put it, physically... Generosity modeled in the home. Lives of service, sacrificial giving.